Thank you for joining the worship services of Shoto, Brady, and Dutton United Methodist Churches. I'm Pastor Julie King, and I'm so grateful for digital technology that allows you to join us from wherever you are in the world. You can join us every week by clicking the links on our Facebook at facebook.com shotoumc or on our website at umshoto.net. If you like what we are doing and would like to financially support us in ministry, you can find more contact information on our website, and again, that's umshoto.net. We're so grateful that you are joining us. Our scripture lesson is on the back of your bulletin if you would uh, like to follow along as we read God's word. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, what should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich towards God. And then from Mark, he called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Rusty, again, thanks for being here. Good to hear you, and uh, we welcome you to our, our church this morning. Glad to be here, and I'm well aware of my job as guest preacher. It's to make you really happy when Julie is finally back in the pulpit. <laughs> so I'll do my best to do that. A police officer was apologizing to a woman who was sitting in her car. He said, ma'am, I am so sorry. When I drove up behind you, I saw you flashing your lights, and I heard you honking your horn, and I saw you flipping the bird to the driver in front of you, and I heard you swearing a blue streak at the top of your voice. I bet you were in the Navy. Now, when I got out of my car to come talk to you, I saw your bumper sticker. Jesus is my co-pilot. And on the back of your car, a little metal Christian fish symbol, and on the other side of your bumper, it said, Follow me to Sunday school. Naturally, I assumed you had stolen the car. <laughs> <clears throat> I'm afraid that joke 
is a foreshadowing of what's going to be coming down in Methodist churches around the world in the next year or two. As you probably know, we're in the, in the process of dividing into two different denominations. The, the issue is gender identity, and it's already started. On May 1st, the Global Methodist Church was formed. <clears throat> now, in order to be part of that church, you have to believe that if you are not heterosexual only, there really is, is no place for you in the church just based on that. In the United Methodist Church, we are almost evenly divided, I understand, on that issue. And so we are going to divide. The only reason we haven't already split is because of the two enormous problems. One is who's going to pay for the pensions? when you split into two and everybody was United Methodist before and then there'll be two different. And the even more difficult one, church buildings. You do know that you don't own this building, right? The annual conference owns this building. And what if your church wants to go with one denomination there with another or, or, or vice versa? Those things have to be worked out before there'll be a, a complete division. But it'll come. It's not the first time in our history that we will be a divided Methodist church. In the middle of the 1800s, we split over the issue of slavery, with the church south saying the Bible is very clear. God supports and, in fact, ordained slavery. And in the north saying, no, no, the opposite is true. God hates slavery. One thing is sure, this time around, both sides will be quoting the Bible and John Wesley, and accusing the others of stealing the Methodist car. I don't want to talk about that this morning. <laughs> I want to talk to you about how we're going to be talking to each other. What did Jesus say about how we ought to behave? Let me see your hands. How many of you are old enough and went to church camp enough that you know the name of my father, Reverend George Harper. Okay, all right, there's several. Um, my dad said that much of Jesus' teachings fall under two theological terms, a pair of terms, parable and paradox. He said we could understand both of those better if we call them surprise endings and Riddles. Now, we think we know what a parable is, right? It's a story with a moral. So take the parable of the Good Samaritan. Non-Christians know this. Hmm? A man is uh, set upon by thieves. Two church people go by on the other side and don't help. Good Samaritan comes, helps the person, takes him to the end, says he'll pay for him. In the United States, Good Samaritan is a legal term for a person helping somebody else out of, the, not because of their job, but out of the goodness of their heart. So the moral of the story is be a good Samaritan, right? No, that is not the parable Jesus told. If Jesus were telling that parable to us, it might go something like this. A man was mugged by a street gang in a big city and he was left lying in the gutter and a Democrat was drive, driving by and she said, oh, the government ought to do something to help those poor people, and she drove on by. Republican was driving by, and he said, oh, 
The city ought to clean those bums out of this downtown business district, and he drove on by. A visiting member of the Chinese Communist Party pulled his rental car over to the curb and got out to see if the man needed some help. It's a little different parable, isn't it? Chinese Communist is not nearly as shocking to us as Samaritan would have been to Jesus here. He did not tell the parable of the Good Samaritan. He told the parable of the hated Samaritan to say who was the good neighbor. It didn't depend what group they were from or even what he'd done in the past. It was who supplies the need for the person in need. Take the parable we just heard, the parable of the rich fool. Man's rich and God says, oh, time's up. What are you going to do with all your riches now? So the moral is you can't take it with you. Now, who doesn't know that? I'll tell you who doesn't know it. The people who were listening to Jesus. Almost everybody who were Jesus' followers were poor and they were Jewish. And poor Jewish people knew for a fact riches are the sign of God's blessing. The rich man is not just more fortunate than we are, he is more loved by God than we are. And in Jesus' parable, God taps him on the shoulder and says, Hey, it's time's up. You can't take it with you. And by the way, you've got to answer for what you didn't do with your money. Now, for Jesus' hearers, this was not just a surprise ending. This was turning their complete universe upside down. The people God loves most are not the rich people, they're the ones from whom God requires the most. Never in their life would they have thought this thought. And so when Ger Jesus told this parable to a crowd for the first time, I'm positive there would have been stunned silence. Well, that's not right. And then as people considered how ridiculous this was the turning of everything upside down. Somebody <laughs> would kind of get the giggles and then they'd start laughing. And I bet a wave of laughter would sweep across the crowd. 2,000 years later, we're quite incapable of hearing humor from Jesus' time. We're almost incapable of hearing the surprise endings because our culture is so different. And of course, when you've heard the parables a hundred times, even if you laugh the first time, it's not funny anymore, and it's certainly not a surprise. But I think we need to try to understand the reason Jesus told surprise endings was to turn things upside down, to get people out of their way of thinking, and especially out of their way of self-centered thinking. I believe that's probably the greatest sin of all. Parable of the rich fool is not about riches, it's about self-centered thinking. Dad said, uh, with paradoxes, uh, you know the paradoxes, the first will be last, the last will be first. If you want to save your life, you lose it. If you want to be a leader, you have to wash your followers' feet. Dad said, these are riddles in which we have to figure out for ourselves 
what they mean and how they apply to us. Uh, he said, are these just religious speak? these riddles? And then he said, I've got a plan. I've been worried that when I get older, I may get dementia or, or even Alzheimer's. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to stop trying to memorize anything so I can save my memory for later. <laughs> and he said, furthermore, I've never run a marathon, but I've got a plan. I'm going to walk as little as possible to save my muscles for the big day. He said, what, what do you think of my plan? And then he said, Jesus' paradoxes are not religious doublespeak. They are the way the universe works. With physical or mental muscles, it's use it or lose it. You can't save them. It's the same with spiritual muscles. Well, okay. So, an example of ordinary people trying to do this. During the pandemic, you recall in the first days how utterly frightening that was. And very smart people said, you know, the best thing we could do in order to live through this? If your job is essential to the running of our society or our economy, please go to work. And if your job is not essential, then please stay home. Either don't do your job or do it from home, but don't be around other people. And what happened? Most of the essential workers in our country went to work, even though they knew they were in greater danger of dying and of bringing it home to their families, and they did die by the tens of thousands. But what would have happened if most of the essential workers did not go into work? Our economy would have collapsed, our society would have collapsed, and instead of one million dead, we'd have had tens of millions dead as we killed each other over scarce resources of food and other, and other necessities that no longer were coming in because there's no supply chain. That we need to honor our first-line workers for the same reason that we honor our military dead on Memorial Day and for the same reason. Ordinary people doing their job as best they can, even though they're in greater danger of dying, so that the rest of us can live good lives. That's what Jesus was talking about. So take a, take a smaller disaster. What happens when a disaster hits some family in, in your church here? Chances are, one of the first things you do is say, okay, who's bringing meals on Wednesday, and who's got Thursday, and who's got Friday? When I was in high school, I had a summer job on a farm in Geraldine. And one day during harvest, almost all the neighbors converged on one particular farm. And in one day, we cut all of the wheat and barley and got it into the silos because the couple had been injured in a car accident and couldn't, couldn't handle their own farm. That's what neighbors do. That's what good neighbors do. That's what Jesus was talking about. So Jesus used parables to try to get us out of our, our self-centered way of thinking, and he used uh, paradoxes, not as a list of what to do and, and don't do, but as a guideline to how to live. 
there was a story of a young man who was in seminary, and he was taking a test on biblical content. And one of the questions was, when Jesus was baptized, a voice came from heaven. What did the voice say? And try as he could, he could not think of the exact words, so he wrote down, the voice said, you are the son of God, now act like it. <laughs> as I was putting this sermon together, I had an imaginary conversation with the spirit of Jesus, and I was saying, look, I'm trying to understand that parables are surprising things, and they're meant to turn, turn out our self-centered way of, of thinking, and it's difficult for me to do. Trying to understand these riddles and that they are guidelines, and that we are supposed to then figure out the details ourselves. But seriously, Jesus, what do you want me to do this next week? And in my mind, I heard what might be the spirit of Jesus talking. It said, we are all children of God. All of us, even the people that you don't like and who don't like you, all of us, depending, not depending on religious beliefs or political parties or gender orientation, we are all children. We are the family of God. Now let's act like it. Thank you, Rusty. You always have been my uh, poster child for being a United Methodist. Thank you. Our hymn following this message is um, Spirit of God. It's on the screen. We have uh, three verses. Shall we stand? I should tell you, I, ch I chose this one. It's written by one of my best friends. I've known him since before he was born. Uh, our families have been that close, and he and I sang together in the Montana Logging and Ballet Company for 38 years. It's, this is from Steve Garnis Holmes. Thank you.
in one warm embrace. No matter where we go, you hold us together, so held in your hands, bone on your live in me there's a race that must be run there's a victory to be won every hour by thy power live in me let's try that again live in me Lord Jesus live in me live in me Lord Jesus live in me there's a race that must be run there's a victory to be won Every hour by thy power live in me. And here's the benediction. We are all the family of God. Now let's act like it.